Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. If you're looking for more great information like you get here at the pre-med years, go to mededmedia.com. Again, that's mededmedia.com. This is the pre-med year, session number 173. Hello and welcome to the pre-med years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your pre-med success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. If you're on Facebook and you're not part of our medical school headquarters hangout group, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash group today and join the over 1,200 amazing pre-med and medical students that are collaborating every day in there. Again, that's medicalschoolhq.net slash group. Click join and I will accept you into the group as soon as I can. Today, I have an amazing guest for you, Christina. I first met Christina in the Hangout group that I just mentioned, again, medicalschoolhq.net slash group, and it came up after a discussion from somebody about shadowing DO physicians when applying to a DO medical school, and Christina was saying that you don't need one, you don't need one, you don't need one, and and I was making the argument that if you look at the college information book, which is the the DO equivalent of the MSAR, the MSAR for allopathic schools, for the MD schools. If you look at the CIB, the College Information Book, it talks about DO letters of recommendation. And that DO, most of the verbiage, if you look at it, talks about how a letter of recommendation from an osteopathic physician is highly recommended for applying to that school, whatever school it is. And and as an advisor to students applying to school, when I read that something is highly recommended, I suggest that you read it as required. You don't want to take the time and effort to apply to a school only for them to see that you didn't get a letter of recommendation from an osteopathic student or from an osteopathic physician, even after they said it's highly recommended, 
and have them look at that and go, well, I guess they just didn't care enough. So when you read something like that, I take it as you better do it. Now, it's not hard and fast rule, no, but it's highly recommended. I read that as required. Do it. You should do it. And so Christina and I actually started talking, and I found out that she had a pretty circuitous path to medical school, pretty crazy path, a great path to talk about here on the podcast. So let's welcome her to the show and hear all about that crazy path. Christina, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I want to talk about what you're doing right now for a career. Okay. Um, So I work as a clinical research coordinator at a company called Biopharma Services. And my job is to be the head of clinical trials for human pharmaceutical research. That's very interesting. And it seems like some great experience for later in life as a physician, getting some of that behind the scenes knowledge of of what happens. Absolutely. Where where drugs are born. Yes. <laughs> and and I also get to work with our principal investigators who are also physicians. So that's that's been nice to work side by side with them. Great relationships, I'm assuming. Yes. That's awesome. So this is what you do now. But you're also starting medical school soon, correct? Yes. That's um, I'm, awesome. I'm actually going to be starting July of next year. I um, chose to start next year instead of this year so that I could take a vacation. The, vacations are good. Yes. <laughs> vacations are very good. When did you realize that you wanted to be a physician? Ugh, so, um, <laughs> unfortunately, as cliche as it may sound, um, being a physician is something that I've always wanted to do. I can remember saying it as early as as five or six. Um, So it's definitely not something that, you know, I woke up one day and thought, hey, that might be fun, or it wasn't a particular experience that, say, I had in high school or in college. It's it's very something that's very interesting to me. Um, It's something that I've just always had a passion for and always felt that I needed to do ever since I was very small. Knowing that, knowing that you always wanted to be a physician, why aren't you one now? What, where, where has your path taken you? Um, everywhere but there. <laughs> <laughs> so definitely a lot of life. Um, I, this was a goal that um, I had always fought toward, but um, my story is a little different in that I, I kind of diverted myself. Um, I, it's something that I talk about in my um, personal statement, and it's, I remember being little, and I'm a first-generation college student. Um, a lot of people in my family didn't even finish high school. So even going to college was, wasn't really something, I don't want to say it wasn't supported, but it was just sort of, it had the attitude of, that's not really needed. Um, and I remember saying to people, you know, I want to be a doctor. And they would look at me and they'd say, oh, that's sweet. Well, maybe you should be a nurse instead. <laughs> and Or it was, oh, well, maybe you should do this instead. But, you know, it was sort of, they thought it was cute. And so I, over the years as I grew up, I almost felt like people were saying that because they just thought I was too dumb. 
Um, and I think that I convinced myself that I was too dumb and that it was just sort of this grandiose dream that I would never have. Um, I didn't even tell people after a while that that's what I wanted to do. And when I had made the decision to apply to medical school, I didn't even tell anybody. It was, I, I wanted to keep it a secret. Um, I sort of felt like I wasn't good enough. Um, and my husband was a very big supporter. And he said, you need to do this. You can do it. Just do it. And I said, and I, I remember saying to him, I'm too dumb. And he says, you're not dumb. So, and, and so I just, I really had to try to get past that thinking. Um, so that was one reason it took me a while. Um, also, not finishing school. I didn't finish my bachelor's. I didn't go back to finish that until 2011. And I graduated high school in 02. Um, one reason was because I just didn't have the money. Um, and I wasn't a great student. I didn't do great in high school. Um, I didn't do particularly great um, when I got my associates outside of high school. Um, so that was another thing that I kind of convinced myself. Well, if I can't do the easy stuff, you know, if I can't ace associate's degree, you know, how would I ever expect to go down this path? Um, but a lot of that was uh, being, having a defeatist attitude. Some of it was just really not knowing how to study, at least not knowing what I needed to do to put myself in the position to be where I knew I could be. And so for me, I'm very glad that this has come as I, I'm older, because I'm 32. Um, I don't think that I would have been in a position to succeed environmentally or immature enough to succeed the way I know I could if I were to have gone at a younger age. Okay. Let's, let's go back to, to finishing high school. Mm -hmm. You said you, you weren't that great of a student then. I wasn't. <laughs> did, did you immediately go and start college and, and get your associate's degree? I did. Um, and I actually got my CNA license my uh, senior year of high school. Okay. Um, so I did that, and I went right into the two-year college outside of graduation. Okay. So you went to a community college? I did. Okay. And at the community college, were you taking general requirements, or did you go in saying, hey, I'm pre-med? Oh, no, absolutely not. It was general. Okay. Um, general. And in my mind, my plan was to do my first two years at the community college where it was cheaper. I could get my general courses out of the way and then transfer to a four-year college. Okay. And somewhere on that path, you said, this isn't going so well. Um, maybe I need to rethink what I'm doing. Right. Yeah. So my first semester um, at the two-year college, I did great. Um, 4.0, got into an honor society, and then it just went downhill from there. Um, <laughs> most of that was not focusing on school. I was also working full time and driving two hours to get to school from where I lived. Um, and I pretty much did what I did in high school. I did enough to get by. I didn't do the extra step to really succeed. And so, um, you know, and I defaulted on my student loans, and it was a huge mess. So even if I had wanted to go right into a four-year college, I, I couldn't. I, you know, 
I didn't have any money. Um, and I couldn't get any loans because I had defaulted. So um, I just, at that time, just entered the workforce, you know, primarily and thought I'll go back and finish at, at some point. And I actually did try to go back and finish sometime in around uh, 2009 um, and couldn't pay for it then and had to, was supposed to drop a class because I couldn't get out of work and then procrastinated and didn't and ended up with an F and it was a huge oh. ordeal. Yeah. <laughs> what, what did that look like going, going back to school, having defaulted on your original loans? How, how did you fix that issue? Because I don't think that's something we've talked about before. Um, well, my husband was um, a huge help in that. He was in the military for quite some time, and actually the money he made from that, he paid off my student loans. Um, they were private loans, so it's not you know the same thing as if defaulting on those federal loans. Um, I was still considered, um, when I went to get my associates, I was still under my parents' income, but once we were married and I tried to go back to school, I still was unable to get financial aid. Um, and really the reason, the only way that I came back from that and was able to go to school was I had my son. And having that kid put us in a whole new category and I was then able to get government loans. Um, and really he's the reason that I even got to where I am because I don't even know if we could have ever afford it for me to go back to school. Wow. The government loan, such a crazy, crazy game. Absolutely. And I, I don't even remember now why I couldn't get them because, um, you know, we weren't making any money. My husband was still in school, um, you know, and I was just working in retail and we were married. So I wasn't under my parents' income anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but for some reason, I just, I didn't qualify. Interesting. So you, you obviously at, at this point, you, you have your son and yes. you say, okay, I can, I can get money to go back to college. I'm going to do it. How, yes. did, how did you make that leap to, to say, okay, I'm ready for this now? I, I just knew, I mean, you know, really it had to do with, I had my son, he was an infant and I start thinking about all the things that he could do. You know, he might be into sports, he might be into music and I'm just thinking of all these things, you know, I don't know what he's going to be when he grows up. He could, he could go be an actor. He could, you know, go be a mechanic. I have no idea. And I start thinking about how I owe it to myself and him to show him that if you have a dream, you don't give up on it and you do whatever you can to make, make certain that it comes true. Um, he, I mean, he was a huge inspiration. Um, like I said, my husband really pushed me too. Um, and without those two, I don't know that I would have ever, I think it, being a physician would have always just remained my little secret. Um, my little dream that was, I always thought was unattainable. Um, but those two were the big inspirations. I knew that I had, you know, the support of my husband because we all know it's a hard road um, and it's a long road. I mean, just even attempting to apply is a long process. Um, so I think with knowing that I had his support, um, 
and it it just seemed like I was at a right time in my life and a right place. I, I was mature, um, much more mature than I was when I got out of high school, and and I was just ready. It was just I just knew I was ready. When you started your your college career at the four year university, what what did you do differently? to overcome not being a great student in high school and not being a great student at community college? The, well, the first thing I had to do, and very quickly, was learn how to study. Um, I had to learn what worked for me. Um, I had to accept the fact that um, I had to work at it. My husband is one of those people where, you know, he didn't even study for the ACT and he got almost a perfect score, <laughs> you know, and he, he's one of those people. And there's people like that in our schools. And I always thought, you know, I should be like that. I shouldn't have to work this hard. But it doesn't mean just because I have to work a little harder that I'm not capable. So that was something that I really had to get over um, and just realize that if I wanted it, I needed to work hard. Um, so I, I just had to realize that I needed to figure out what way I needed to study. Um, and I needed to buckle down and do it. And of course, being older, you know, you don't have your friends calling you saying, Hey, let's go out tonight. And you say, Oh, I'll do my homework later. And then you never do. That's kind of the trap I fell into when I was younger. Um, and so I didn't have that. You know, I had an infant, I had a husband, and so that really helped ground me to say, um, you know, I have, I have schoolwork to do, I need to, to focus on that. And I loved it. It was, you know, it was interesting. It wasn't the general classes, you know, those are all boring. We got to take the speech and debate, and we got to take the computer class to learn how to use Excel. And it's, but once I got into those last two years, you know, I got to take the chemistry and the biology and the microbiology, and that's what I really wanted. So having that interest and knowing that I was at this point where my goal was to apply to medical school really helped me. Um, I knew that that was what I was working toward. This was my end goal, not just getting a bachelor's. And so that really helped to ground me. What were you doing in this time to gain clinical experience and and remind yourself what what you were aiming towards? Nothing, actually. I know that's probably not the answer you <laughs> want to hear. <laughs> um, I had worked in the healthcare field uh, ever since I got out of high school. Um, I worked as a CNA, worked in a nursing home. Um, I worked in a rehabilitation center. I had worked um, at a group home uh, for people with disabilities, developmental disabilities, and I had also worked in retail. I had also worked in the laboratory aspect in a microbiology lab and a chemistry lab. So by the time I went back to get uh, my bachelor's, I had already had this experience. Um, so I really just focused on finishing school. And in my last uh, semester, last two semesters, that's when I kind of did a little bit more shadowing because I had talked to a lot of schools, a lot of admissions, and they said, look, your work experience in the healthcare field is great. Um, we're not going to tell you you need a certain amount of shadowing hours because you've had that clinical experience, but we would like you to get some shadowing. So I did a little shadowing. It wasn't by any means a lot, uh, but I did just to show that, hey, you know, this is something I'm serious about. 
But when I finished those last two years, it was just school. I mean, I really didn't um, do much of anything else. Yeah, and that's okay. Like the admissions people said, your clinical experience was probably second to none. Right. But the after you shadowed, uh, from the admissions point of view, we want to see that you understand what life is like as a physician. Clinical exactly. experience, great, but that's being a CNA. Right. Do you know what it's like to be a physician? Did Did you feel that shadowing painted that picture a little bit better for you? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's much different. Um, you know, you do, you can go get that clinical experience and work in a hospital, and that's great. But when you actually follow the physician um, and you see them dictate and you see them go through their process, it's it's very different. So, yeah, shadowing was great. Um, and I got to shadow several different specialties. I spent a little bit of time in the cath lab with a cardiologist. I uh, followed a neurologist for a day, and I did most of my shadowing uh, with actually my personal doctor who's does internal medicine. So, and I did a little bit of pediatric, um, with a DO. So it was great to see all the different aspects of that. You had, it sounds like a ton of great experiences with the shadowing and and tons of variety. I talked to students that, that can't even find one physician to shadow. Oh, it's hard. How, How did you do that? Um, so I had to, my main thing was using people I knew. Like I used my family physician, my physician. Um, he was willing to let me shadow him. I had a little bit of in with the cardiologist because my father has had a lot of heart problems and, um, I was able to contact his cardiologist and they referred me to another one because he was too busy. So as I had already had these connections, um, with the neurologist, I, it was purely me just harassing the hospital. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, calling the HR department, um, the hospital here, the university, it's the teaching hospital. So they already have a lot of that going on. They have the volunteering, they have the shadowing. So they actually have a specific application you can fill out just to shadow. So it was a little different with that university here. Um, that hospital, because it is a teaching hospital. But I, I can't tell you how many doctors that, you know, I would call their office and you get shot down. Or they say, oh, yes, we'll call you back, and then you never hear from them. It's it's very hard to find somebody to shadow. Um, you know, I, I got in contact with doctors and said, oh, I can have you follow me for an hour. Well... Thanks, but, you know, like, that's not really going to do anything for me. But, you know, I'll contact somebody else. So, yeah. and that's the main complaint that I hear from people is is getting in contact with a physician. And by no means it's hard. My, my best advice to that would be try to use the contacts that you already have. Yeah. And and keep, keep calling, keep emailing, even when oh, you yes. get all those no's. You have to be persistent. Yeah. I, I love telling the story of because every everybody everybody knows J.K. Rowling, everybody knows Harry Potter, and so right. telling the story of how many times she was shot down for for Harry Potter and, and previous stuff that she's written until she finally got that one publisher that, that said yes, and now look at her. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just like you know, in acting, Danny DeVito. He's short. He's overweight, and <laughs> and I mean, he. They tell this great story about how he auditioned 99 times for a row, for a role, 
99 times and he got shot down, but he kept going back. So you just have to be persistent. Yeah. That's awesome. All right. So you're, you got your shadowing experiences. You're, you're back in school doing better than ever because you're, you're focused, you're motivated, you're more mature. Absolutely. Talk about how you uh, decided where to apply to medical school. Obviously having a, a husband who's working, having a child. Uh, it sounds like maybe you're ingrained in the area where you are with, with yes. family and other stuff. How did you choose what schools to apply to? So I peppered the two-hour radius around my home with my application. Um, I was not discriminate at all. Um, I, I did, in researching schools, you know, obviously see some schools that I loved. I really fell in love with Drexel in Philadelphia. Um, my husband has been very supportive through this process, but that was one thing that he was very adamant about. You know, we're not moving. Um, if you apply to a school outside of the state, you will have to go by yourself and that will be an issue. So, <laughs> so you know, I, it was very clear where I stood. So, and you know, my family is here. My in-laws are here and we have a four-year-old. So, to me, it would be stupid to pack up everybody and go to a place where we have no support. So my first go-round at applications was to apply to everywhere, literally two hours within range, which being in Missouri didn't give me a lot of options because first I had to make sure, right, that it qualified. So like SLU or Wash U here, I wasn't even close to meeting the requirements to even apply. Um, what, what what are some of those requirements? Because I, I think a lot of students will will apply to schools because because a lot of schools don't have hard and fast requirements, but they have their averages, right? Right, right. So, like WashU, for example, um, one of their requirements you know, how they give the list of, of classes that you'd need to have taken before you apply to their program. Mm -hmm. One of theirs was Diff EQ. And they wanted math all the way through Calculus 3, which I had none of. Wow. Um, so that was just one thing that I looked at. Um, the grade point average, you know, mine wasn't even close. I, you know, I, I graduated with a 3.8 when I finished my bachelor's. <laughs> But when AMCAS recalculated my GPA with my prior grades, it was only a 3.0. So in terms of medical school, it was, it was terrible. Um, so I knew if, if, you know, say Wash U, their average GPA was, you know, a 3.8 and average MCAT score was a 38, mine was a 24, I'm not going to waste my time. Um, I'm not even close to their requirements or their averages. So it was, I used that to kind of gauge um, what schools to apply to um, within the area. So really it left me with, with, um, with four schools. I applied to four schools, three MD and one DO. Um, all of the MD schools shut me down, which I, I, I kind of expected. Um, what, what did that look like? Did they just, did they send you secondaries? Oh, yes. So here in the state of Missouri, um, if you are an in-state, if you are a resident, you automatically get secondaries when you apply to any school in Missouri. Okay. 
Um, so I already knew that I was going to get secondaries. Um, the, the exception was KU. I applied to KU, and I did get a secondary for them. Um, but I did not get an interview. So for, like, MU, I did... Um, MU in Kansas City, UMKC, and then ET Still and Kirksville here, um, I already expected to get secondaries from all of them because I am a resident. When you fill out your secondaries and you're waiting to hear from interviews, knowing, knowing your GPA and how that's calculated, knowing your MCAT score, what were you expecting? I was expecting everybody to say thanks, but no thanks. Um, I knew my greatest... um, So, for example, at MU, University of Missouri, I had met with their admissions staff many times. Uh, I had done their program. They have a program there for non-traditional students called uh, Mizzou Med Prep. And they have three different classes. One is where they introduce you to the whole application process, They help you with your personal statement. You can do mock interviews. The admissions people actually grade you on your interviews, give you feedback. They read your personal statement, grade your personal statement. So it was great. That's awesome. Yeah, it was was amazing. Um, And their admissions people told me straight up, don't expect to get in on your first try. You need to be able to reapply. Um, You probably won't get in the first time. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I said, okay. So I wasn't expecting um, anything from them. Uh, UMKC, I I guess I kind of felt the same way because it's just an extension of MU. Um, So in KU, you know, it's out of state. You have to have really good scores to really go to an out-of-state school if they even accept out-of-state applicants. So that was sort of like, oh, I've I've applied to all these other schools. Why not just throw one in? (laughs) It's Um, just another $37. Exactly. At that point, I was like, eh, I'll just, you know, great. Um, So honestly, I mean, I really wasn't expecting uh, to get an interview. My MCAT score wasn't great. Um, You know, I didn't have any, uh, any wrong you know, ideas about, I guess, I didn't have any misrepresentations of what I thought was going to happen. I was very realistic. I knew that I didn't really have competitive scores. I knew that what was going to carry me was my experiences and my personal statement and my age. Um, Being a non-traditional student, being more mature and having, you know, the work experience. So I really knew that my best bet was AT still, which was the DO school. Mm -hmm. Um, just simply because I felt like my experiences really fit into the type of student they were looking for. Um, and so I, I really felt that if I were going to get anywhere, it would be with them. All right. Before we fast forward to to your interview and, and acceptance and everything, uh, what at, at this point in the game, what was your plan B? Well, it had always been to reapply, and I was very prepared to answer that question. If I were to get an interview, you know, sometimes they ask you, if you don't get in this year, will you reapply? Mm -hmm. So I always wanted to reapply. Um, Because I couldn't change my GPA, it was my undergraduate GPA, it was locked in, I couldn't do anything. I knew that 
if I wanted to show an improvement in that, I would have to do some sort of graduate degree. Um, and so I had planned on going and getting my certificate to teach chemistry. Um, I thought teaching high school chemistry might be something that I would be interested in. And I knew that as much as I wanted to fight it, that I probably should take my MCAT again, and which nobody wants to do. And I <laughs> certainly did not want to. So I took the last old MCAT before they changed it. And so I would have had to gotten all new materials. And it's just, I didn't want to have to reapply. Mm-hmm. But it was something that I think I was prepared to do. I don't think I would have done it right away. I think that I would have taken at least a year before I reapplied. Okay. Uh, All right. So you have this plan B. You're waiting for interviews, and you finally got one. What what was that like the the day you got your interview invite? Uh, Well, I cried. Um, I was actually in Toronto. My company had sent me um, for training. And I was in Toronto, and I was checking my email, and I saw an email from AT Still. And, I, of course, my heart fell through the bottom of my shoes, and I'm thinking, oh, here's my rejection letter. And I open it up, and they're like, hey, we'd like to invite you for an interview. And then I just cried Um, which is saying something because I'm not a crying type of gal Um, I I was stuck my cell phone didn't work in Toronto so I couldn't call anybody I wanted to call and tell so I was frantically trying to find a phone in the hotel and and see if I could get a call out and um, but it didn't seem real it was I had to keep reading the email over and over Um, and my situation was a Kind of odd, before I got my interview invite officially, the director of admissions emailed me personally and said, hey, just a heads up, we're going to offer you an interview. We really love your application, and we want you to be one of the strongest candidates at interview day. So at this point, I had only shadowing experience with an MD, and they said, before you interview in the next couple of weeks, Go get some shadowing with a DO just so we can say you did it. Great. So so I did that, and they said, you know, write us a little bit about your experience. You know, send it to us about a day before you interview, and we'll put it with your file. So that's what I did. And that was through an email or a phone call? An email, an yes. Email. That's, that's incredible that they would reach out to you and say, hey, we'd like everything in your application, but we want some more experience here. And this right. is, it's, it's funny because this is how I, I, we actually connected online, right? It was this Facebook right. post about shadowing for DOs. And you're like, oh, you don't need it. You don't need it. You don't need it. Right. <laughs> but then, but then I, I was talking to you and you're like, well, they did ask me for it. So, right. <laughs> so what... It, try to again. So you, it's funny. You were told that you needed the shadowing experiences before, right? right? And now you're told you need more shadowing experience with a DO. What What did that experience do for you? And, and do you think it's really important uh, if you want to apply to a DO school to have this DO experience? Um, I think it's important. If you shadow a DO that does DO things, 
meaning we have a lot of DOs that actually go do MD residencies and they don't do the practices that we think are are hallmark to the DOs. They're not doing the manipulations, um, which, you know, is the huge hallmark yep. of the DOs. And so I, I was a little disappointed with my shadowing. There's a, there was one DO in town that actually teaches sometimes at AT still, which is the school I had the interview at. Mm -hmm. And she was unable to give me any shadowing hours, but she does do the manipulations. And I kind of felt like the reason they wanted me to get those DO hours was because that was the part of the, the aspect of that branch of medicine that they wanted me to see. However, the DO that I shadowed didn't do manipulations. And I, I told them in my interview, I said, I really, unfortunately, didn't experience anything different than when I had shadowed an MD. Um, and I said, but I had, I, at that point, I knew I had to do my own research. I said, you know, I, I've looked at them, I've read up on the manipulations. I've looked at the videos on YouTube. Like, I, I had to show that I understood what that was without actually having witnessed it through my shadowing. Okay. So you, you did your homework um, and you, you, you got the, what they required, uh, uh, some shadowing with somebody that had a DO after their name, but it just wasn't the, the same experience. What, what was their response to that? How did they, how did they respond to you? Um, some of, uh, one person I interviewed with really didn't care. He was um, one of the professors there, and he was like, you shadowed a DO, like, that's all I need to see. <laughs> like, you know, he was he was fine with that. Um, Checkbox marks. Exactly, exactly. Um, the one person that really, uh, one of my interviewers didn't even ask about it, and my my second interview I had, she was from the admissions uh like worked in the admissions office. She wasn't a professor or anything. And she was the one that really asked about it. And she just kind of said, well, did you see anything different? Like, did he spend more time with his patients? And I, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, I said he, you could see that, you know, one thing he wasn't as apt to give out medications, you know, he wanted to let the body heal on its own, give it its time. And, you know, that, that was enough for her, um, to see that. Okay. And she said, Oh yes, that, that is one of the differences. And I, okay, great. <laughs> you know, um, and I even said to them, I know the reason you guys wanted me to shadow was to see the manipulations, but I didn't. And they just, they wanted to see that I could pick out just even the slightest difference. You know, they wanted to be, um, separated from the MD experience, so yeah, interesting. I, I at one point I think in the future I want to have an MD and a DO on, um, and and duke it out about really how different it is. Oh, if, that if it is. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, um, as far as I've been told, it's not. It's I, not. I, I've been it's told not. that. <laughs> yeah, the only difference is you know the DOs get about two hundred extra hours of manipulation, and then you're on your way. It's just. Yeah. Um, it's so it's it's an unfortunate thing. I I think because of the pre med world, 
that DO schools are frowned upon. That that you, oh, absolutely. you go to a DO school because you can't get into an MD school. And that's what I was told. <laughs> and and so I think the DO schools are trying to market themselves as as having these differences of of the D, this quote unquote DO philosophy. Oh yeah. But I I think what it comes down to is is how the physician, whether an MD or a DO, wants to practice. An MD can spend a ton of time with a patient. A DO can spend a little time with a patient. An MD can treat holistically and not want to prescribe medications. And a DO can be pushing medications left and right. Absolutely. It's it's all based on each individual person. It has nothing to do with the quote-unquote DO philosophy. Absolutely. So anyway, and they and they actually have you know MDs that can go get certified in the manipulations that the DOs do. Yeah. So they they cross over so much that I mean it's it's kind of silly to have you know I mean the university here told me that they said well you know you probably won't get into an MD school you got to go to a DO school because your grades are low and they take people like you and it's like <laughs> what like come on now yeah, that's too bad. <laughs> But you you got an acceptance. Yes. Congratulations. How long Thank did that you. take to get? Um, it was a week. Not I bad. waited, so it, it wasn't too bad. What What were you thinking after your interview day? Did you have strong feelings? Um, I I didn't. Um, you know, it's oddly I've been fairly numb through the process. I think. It just doesn't seem real to me. I mean, this is something that I've been waiting my entire life for and always telling myself I would never achieve. So it was like, I've just been in shock. And after the interview, my husband went with me and he says, well, how do you think it went? I said, well, I don't, I can't think of anything tragic that happened. Like, I feel like it went okay. You know, I was able to answer the questions. I felt prepared. And in some cases I felt overprepared, um, because I was asking questions that nobody could answer. Um, and so, so uh, you know, I, I felt like it went well. And it's just, I, I'm, I'm cynical. At, at, you know, my nature is to be cynical. So even though I felt it went well, I thought, well, you know, just expect that you're going to get the thanks but no thanks email. Because I guess I was trying to prepare myself. Mm-hmm. Even though I thought it went well. Okay. You got your acceptance. I did. There are probably more <laughs> tears. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. But but you, it sounds like you're deferring a year. I am, yes. Why is that? Um, well, part of it is because I was waitlisted. Um, they, the email, the email that they sent me said, you know, you're accepted. You have, uh, acceptance that is guaranteed for the 2017 July of 2017 if a seat opens up for July of 2016 we'll let you know by April Um, and if a seat does open up and you choose to go next year you have that option so just because the seat opened I didn't have to take it and I still I've been in contact with the school I still have not heard about a seat opening, um, but I have let them know that even if the seat opens, I'm I'm going next year, and and that was partly a, not partly but mostly a a, a family uh, decision. My husband felt um, 
my husband and I felt that it would be easier. My son will be going into kindergarten next year, so we won't have to um, be having him stay with my parents all day while I'm at school. Um, he will be in school. Uh, we, I would like to continue working in my position for, for a little bit because I actually just started in September. I really like it. I'm making decent money, um, and we thought maybe I could save up some money um, and, you know, like I said, go on a vacation because that's probably not going to happen for like the next 10 <laughs> years. So yes. <laughs> we have the vacation planned and, you know, got my son signed up for kindergarten and we just felt that that would be the best time. Yeah, that sounds great. That's awesome. That's interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard of schools giving acceptances for the following year. Oh, yeah, yeah. I I actually hadn't either it was my understanding that if you were waitlisted and you didn't get a seat you know you kind of just had to apply again yeah um but that school in particular i know does that um and i i thought i heard something about mu here the school of medicine trying to implement something like that that if you're waitlisted and a seat doesn't open that you get first seat the following year um, and I'm not sure if that's something that they ever actually implemented or not, but I had heard that that was uh, in, in talks. Okay. Well, Christina, as, as you've gone on this long, crazy journey, the, the student listening to this might be at the end of their high school career or beginning of their community college career, wherever they are, with the same doubts that you had. What can you do to, to say to motivate them to continue on? Don't let yourself be your biggest barrier because I was my biggest barrier for a long time. And, you know, you hear people say, if I can get in, anyone can. And if that was ever more true, it would be for me. Um, I had all the odds against me. I mean, if you, you want to be honest. Um, but I was passionate about it. If you're passionate about it and you know this is what you want to do, you do it. And you show that you're passionate about it and you fight and you do everything you can to get to it and don't give up. All right. That was Christina. I think I'm going to take some of that motivational stuff from the end and make some fun images for Pinterest. If you go to medicalschoolhq.net slash 173, which is the dedicated blog post specifically for this episode, there will probably be some images there to pin onto Pinterest for your motivational wall. I think that'll be great. Thank you, Christina, for taking time to talk to us today. I think that you listening will be able to get a lot of great information from what Christina had talked about and hopefully will encourage you on your path. I do want to welcome a new sponsor to the pre-med years. I've had them on the podcast before as a guest to discuss physician shadowing experiences abroad. Gap Medics has programs in Tanzania, Croatia, Poland, and Thailand, offering you a peek into the medical field and the work of physicians. You not only get a comprehensive insight into the day-to-day -day work of a physician, but you get the amazing and exciting experience of exploring a new country and a new culture. About half of Gap Medic's placements are in Tanzania, East Africa. Now, I've been to East Africa before, to Kenya, and it's a beautiful part of the world with amazing people that are very welcoming to visitors. And they 
all speak English for the most part, which is amazing. I know you won't regret going and getting this experience with memories that you'll have forever. I still fondly think about all the time that I spent in Kenya, and I hope to go back one day. One of our Hangout members, Saxton, actually listened to the podcast that I had Gap Medics on, which you can listen to at medicalschoolhq.net slash 113. And Saxton applied for and went on a medical internship program to Tanzania after learning all about Gap Medics. He emailed me as soon as he got back and said, I just got back from Tanzania yesterday and I had an absolutely amazing experience. It was everything I had hoped for. He had also mentioned that this was the first time he had traveled by himself and the first time that he had been out of the country. So they were, it was a huge step for him in growing as a person and growing as a future physician, gaining that experience and growing just, just all around the, the cultural experience that he got and everything he'll carry with that forever. So to find out more about Gap Medics and to learn how to apply, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash gapmedics today. Again, medicalschoolhq.net slash gapmedics. Thank you, Gap Medics, for supporting the pre-med years. I also want to take a minute to thank the two people that left us amazing ratings and reviews in iTunes. We have Sarex WS says, uh, I'm a, says, you have no clue as a pre-med until you listen to this. It sounds like he's a 33-year-old non-trad pre-med, wife, and three kids. I wished I could have pursued a career in medicine for years, then found this podcast, and in four months was starting a do-it-yourself pre-med post-bac, and will be applying for medical school within two years. That's awesome. He says, podcast number five was the one that changed everything for me. So thank you for that amazing rating and review. I am glad that you found the podcast, and it looks like it has changed your life, which is amazing. That's, uh, that's why we do it. We have one more here from Salanad Jr.'s mommy. Salanad Jr.'s mommy (laughs) says, amazing. This podcast has been the turning point for me. It's really encouraged me to pursue a medical career. It's like putting every pre-med article together, but better. Thank you. If you would like to leave us a rating interview, one that we will read here on the podcast, and one that uh, helps keep us motivated, go to medicalschoolhq.net slash iTunes to do that. Well, I hope you got a ton of great experience and knowledge and information out of the podcast today. And as always, I hope you join us next week here at the Medical School Headquarters in the pre-med years.